0: Okay, good morning, gentlemen. Go toes. How's everyone doing? Thank God. Okay, Vayait Yaakov, the parish of Ayetseh, which begins with Yaakov running away from his brother Asa, who wants to kill him. Asa wants to kill him because he had taken the, bro- the blessing that Yitzhak had planned to give him. And Rifka having been prophetically told that Asa was harboring his hatred in his heart, waiting for the opportunity when he can kill his brother. So she says. I shouldn't lose you both in one day. Go to Lavan, my brother. He lives in a place called Haran. And there, it's in the north. Again, the same place where the family was. And there you will uh, find a wife for yourself. So Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva, but he does not go straight away to Haran. First, he spends 14 years learning in the yeshiva of Shem Ever. Shem, if you remember, is the son of Noach. Ever is his grandson. They have a yeshiva where they learn Torah. They study about God. And, and um, Yaakov spent some time spiritually preparing himself because he knows that where he's going to, a place called Haran, is a terrible place. In fact, the word Haran is connected to the word Charon, anger. Charon is anger. Charon so the anger of God was against the world in this place. It was a very, very wicked place in the way they behaved. And so before he was going to build a family, this is a very important lesson for us, before you can build a family and begin to make you know, which is what the is going to do. At the end of the day, God wants us to marry, to have children, to build a family. But as a preparation for that, you need to go to yeshiva and to spiritually prepare yourself and lay the foundations in order that then the family you build will be on the solid ground. So he goes to yeshiva for 14 years. Sneak preview. If you come to class today, I'll tell you why he went for 14 years. I learned something fascinating on Shabbos. 14 years is a very interesting thing, but I'll save it for tonight. I won't give away all my uh, secrets in one shot. Well, you know, he was in yeshiva for 14 years before he even leaves to go to Haram. He worked for 14 years for his two wives. And before that, he was in yeshiva for 14 years. Then, after 14 years, mother said, go get married. Said, no problem, We're going to get married. 14 years later, he's going to get married. You know what I'm saying? It's a long time later. So you got to go to yeshiva for 14 years, and yeshiva is a long time to be in yeshiva. That's... I'm saving it for... Tonight. Anyway, so he goes, after 14 years... He, uh, he goes to, um, he leaves Israel, and on the way, he's attacked. I'm not sure actually if this happened before or afterwards. It could be this happened before. It'll, well, I'll get to it later. He uh, he starts traveling towards Haram. And as he's traveling, he realizes he forgot to stop and pray at Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, Haram Maria, which is what we call today Temple Mount, is a place where the binding of Isaac happened. That's where Abraham David, Yitzchak David. And he knew that before he goes to Haran, he needs God's help. If you want God's assistance, you gotta dive in. you gotta pray. Without praying, you don't get. So he, did, he says, I'm gonna turn back around and go back to Haran. Go back, sorry, back to pray by Harmaria. And all of a sudden, he comes upon the place. When he comes upon the place, two explanations. One is that suddenly the sun set upon him. So it wasn't yet dark when he came to Harmaria, and all of a sudden, the sun, Hashem made the sun set early in order that he should have to spend the night sleeping over there. Alternatively, Hashem tells us that Hashem moved. Hashem literally moved Har Maria towards him. He lifted it up out of its natural place and brought it to Yaakov, and all of a sudden he's there. Either way, he's there, it gets dark, either because it got dark not early or because it got dark and Hashem brought him to place. He goes to sleep on Hareh Maria. Before he goes to sleep, he puts Stones around his head. He was worried about the wild animals. So he put one stone under his head as a pillow, very comfortable pillow, and, not, and 12 stones around his head for protection. And in the middle of the night, a miracle happened, and the different stones were fighting with each other. He just said, I want the merit of being the stone to lay under the head of this tzaddik, not just no, around. And in the morning when he woke up, it says he took the stone singular. When he went to bed, it says he put the stones... Plural. And he woke up after his dream, which we'll talk about in a second. He, put, he made the stone singular into an altar because all the stones were miraculously combined into one. Question for you. Beautiful question from the rabbi. Why did he only put stones around his head and not around his body? One of the famous classic questions. The head is the holiest of all. That's true. The head is the holiest. But if we say cash register, if you're worried about wild animals that will come and attack you and during that you're afraid of being eaten by a you know, a, I don't know, a lion or a fox or whatever. So your whole body needs protection. And if you're not worried about the wild animals because God's protecting you, then why do these stones around your head? God will protect you. You're sleeping in a holy place, so you don't need any stones. Why only get around your head? This is a beautiful explanation from the Rebbe, one of the classic, beautiful explanations. You're right. The head is a spiritual. We're talking about Shabbos. The head and the body, right? It's what we spoke about on Shabbos. The head and the body. But he knew his body was going to work. His body was going to go become a shepherd. His body would go marry and have, build, a, build a home and make a business and make money. You got to do that. But he was worried not about his body being involved in the world. He was worried about his head becoming involved in his body. Understand? Your head has to be holy and pure. So he was going to the work. It says in in Tehillim that you should work uh, um, uh, when you'll eat the work of your hands. You'll be happy and it'll be good for you. Meaning you meant to work with your hands. His hands didn't need protection from the world. His head needed protection to make sure that he didn't become so engrossed in what he was doing that uh, he lost his identity. Anyway, go back to the story. He falls asleep. Yeah? And what happens while he's sleeping? He has a dream. While he's sleeping, he ha- while he's sleeping, he has a dream. What's in the dream? The ladder going from the ground all the way up to the skies, and over there, what does he see? He name alache the There's angels of God, going up, the and going down on this ladder. Now Rashi has a very obvious and simple question. The Torah tells us that the angels were first going up and then going down. But normally, angels have to go down before they can go up, right? Prayers. So when we pray, we create angels through our prayer. But here, they, they were existing angels already. They weren't being created. He's sleeping. He's not praying. He's having a dream. And in this dream, he sees angels going up the ladder. And then he sees angels going down the ladder. But seemingly, the angels are in heaven. So first, they have to go down the ladder and they have to go up the ladder, not the other way around, Right? So Rashi says, there were different angels. There were angels that were with Yaakov to protect him while he was in the land of Israel. These were holier angels. When he left Israel, he was leaving Israel, those angels that were with him in Israel were going back up to heaven. And now new angels that would protect him outside of Israel were coming down to protect him. So that's why they were first going up. The angels that had protected him in Israel were going back to heaven. And the new angels that were protecting him outside of Israel were coming down the ladder next okay there is a cute story just on this on this verse so there was a very very wise sage i don't remember who it was anymore i don't know understand i don't remember, remember. who well, you said when you learned as a teacher he was so smart on his own he would ask the questions of rashi you would like think what does it make sense in this verse and He would ask the question that rashi is coming to answer so I come to this verse and the boy has no question so the teacher says you don't have any questions on this verse that rashi might be asking coming to answer Boy says have no questions. So the teacher says, Rashi was asks a question. Why are the angels first going up the ladder and then going down? The angels are in heaven. They first go down then go up. Does it, not, does it bother you that question? Boy says, you can't ask any questions on a dream. It's a dream. We're asking questions on the order. Dreams don't have to make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's a dream. Anyway, Smart marble. Anyway, that's the story. Side note. Okay. So what's the, the angels are going up and down the ladder? And what does he see in the dream? God is standing above him. Now and God says to him, I am Hashem, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Yitzchak, and this land that you are lying upon it, I will give it to you and to your children after you. Meaning as easy as it is for you to lie on the ground, that's how easy you're going to sleep, that's how easily I will give this land to your children. In addition, Rashi tells us that Hashem folded up all the land under Yaakov, so that the whole land of Israel was under him, Literally, the land he was lying on was the entire land of Israel, and then God says to him, one of the famous verses of the Torah: "Your children will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And you will spread out in a very powerful way. To the south, to the north, to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And all the nations of the earth." will be blessed through you and through your descendants. And God continues and God says to him, you don't need to be afraid because I will be with you. And wherever you go, I will be there with you together. Not only will I be with you, I will return you to this land that I am promising you because I will not abandon you until I fulfill everything that I have said to you. Very, very powerful blessing that uh, that uh, Yaakov is getting over here from God. I will be with you. I will bless you. And uh, I will give you everything. Your children will be to the east, to the north, to the west, to the south, etc. Yaakov wakes up from his dream and he says, wow, I'm in a holy place and I didn't even know it. This is a holy place. If I would have known how holy this place was, I would not have gone to sleep over here. Sleep is such a holy place. And then he became afraid. And he said, not only is it holy, but it's awesome. This is like a Awesome place, it's an amazing place. This is nothing else than the base elokim, the house of God. And this is the gate to heaven, the window to heaven. This is also a very important statement. We know that all of our prayers go through Yerushalayim, right through the window of heaven. And we know just like there is a Yerushalayim Shalmattah, there is a, a spiritual capital of the world in our reality. Yerushalayim, which is the holiest physical place with which our prayers go up, so to directly opposite that above is what's called the Yerushalayim Shemayla, the heavenly Jerusalem, where there's a heavenly temple that will God willing come down very soon to us, and this is the gateway into which all of our prayers go. Hence the very, very famous old Jewish joke about, as uh, I feel like President Gorbachev. I don't know, it must be like very old, before I was born, um, about when he came to the White House to make a like a red phone on the on the desk. You know the joke? He said, I want to make a, what, what's this phone for? So the oh no, sorry, the president comes to visit the Pope or something. So he says, what's this phone for? So he says, this is the call, the it's call of the heavens, to call God. He's going to make a phone call. So sure. So he makes a phone call. After finishing his bill for like $5,000 expensive phone call to God. Okay, no problem. Anyway, then he comes to visit uh, Israel. And he comes to whoever was the president at that time, prime minister. He sees also two phones on the desk. Kind of kills a drug him. He sees two phones on the desk. So what's this phone? It's my regular phone. What's this phone? It's my direct line to God. So he can I make a phone call. He to speak to God. I have some questions. So sure. No problem. He speaks to God for 15, 20 minutes. Hangs up. So how much is the bill? It's $2. It's $2. It's a long phone call. So, here it's a local call. You understand? So it's a local call. So this is the gate. To, to the heaven, the gate of Shemai. Okay. Anyway, Yaakov gets up, he takes the evan, the stone, singular, remember I told you it was a miracle that happened, he takes the singular stone and he makes it for a matzelo, he makes it into an altar, he pours oil on top of it, and he, he doesn't have any animals to bring there, he's actually very poor, I didn't say it before, at this moment, Yaakov is basically penniless, I don't know how he had oil, but um, El- Eliphaz, the son of Esav, had been commanded by his father to go kill Yaakov, and he found that Yaakov was running away. So Lephas comes running after Yaakov, he catches up to Yaakov by the river, and he wants to kill Yaakov. Now Yaakov was his uncle, and Yaakov had taught him and raised him on his knees, and he loved his uncle. So he says, I'm torn, I don't want to kill you. On the other hand, I have to tell the mitzvah, to listen to my father, what should I do? So Yaakov told him, take all of my money. A person who's poor is considered like dead, if I'll have no money, then I'll be like dead, you fulfilled your obligation that way. So Yaakov has nothing more than the clothing on his back, the shirt on his back, and the stick in his hand. Hence, he says, later on, when I crossed the Jordan, when I crossed the river to to live Israel, I had nothing but my stick and my clothing. So here he has nothing. He doesn't even have an animal to bring as an offering. He pours some oil. But he makes a vow. He calls a place, a base ale, the house of God. And he makes a a nether. He makes a vow to God. He says to God, if God will be with me, and you will guard me on the path that I am going to go, and you'll give me food to eat. And you'll give me clothing to wear. You see, he's a poor man. He's not praying for riches. He's praying for food to eat and for uh, for bread and for clothing. And I will return in peace to the house of my father. And God will be for me, for a God. And this stone that I'm making as an as a monument, this will be the sign that of everything that God will give to me, aser, aser, I will surely give a tithe. I will give 10% of whatever God will give to me, I will give back to Hashem, exactly the same way as my father did. We find by Avraham that when he was um, after the war with Stone, when Malchized, the king of Shalem, came to him and uh, he wanted to, you know, he wanted to give everything. He says he gave then a tenth to Malchisedek, the priest of the priest of God. Yitzchak, Yitzhak it says last exparha, when he was in the time of the famine. And he plowed the field and gave a hundred times more than he planned for it to give. Why did he plan? Because he was giving my of his fields. Even in the famine, his field produced a hundred times more. And so here Yaakov says, I will follow in the path of Avraham and of Yitzchak. And if everything that God will give to me, I will give back 10% to Hashem. Okay, we will stop over there. Any questions? I was wondering,